the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 10. John chapter 10 this morning. And as you're turning there, as you're turning there, I have a question for you. Uh, please don't respond out loud, uh, but I have a question for you to think on. Um, how would you fill in the blank? Um, how would you fill in the blank to this question? Um, my life is, and then fill in the blank. My life is, and then fill in the blank. Um, how many of you have ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? Heathens, all of you. Now, <laughs> Forrest Gump filled in the blank by saying this, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. How many of you have ever read the book, The Road Less Traveled? The Road, okay, so a few of you have read it. Uh, F. Scott Peck began that best-selling book, The Road Less Traveled, by writing, life is difficult. He specified right out of the gate, life was difficult. Once I went to a timeshare meeting, a sales meeting, and the salesman sat there at the very end in a final effort to get people to sign on the dotted line. And he said to us, life is not a dress rehearsal. You only get to live one time. He was trying to get us to buy the timeshare. Others throughout my years of ministry have described life or their existence with a rat race with a series of choices, with a, a paycheck, uh, a weekend, or, or a party. And I thought to myself as I was putting this together, why is it that we always want to reduce life in size? Why? For, for many, life is nothing more than the time spent between birth and death. The drudgery of existence. The, the boring monotony of a routine. The hope of having enough until the end. But I wonder if people have bought into a lie. I wonder if people have followed the world's standards. I wonder if they followed possible false shepherds, people that have led them away from the true gospel. I wonder. Jesus, in this passage of scripture here, draws a very familiar scene. Uh, a scene of, of shepherds on a hillside keeping watch over their sheep. And he says something in probably one of the most controversial verses here in this text. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you have life and have it more abundantly. A verse that has been destroyed and decimated in our culture of Christianity. One that's been used by preacher after preacher to say that everything that you ask for you get the way that you want it. If you want that car, you're going to have it because you prayed for it. If you want that money, you're going to get it because you prayed for it. The verse that's been used to decimate the true and actual words of Christ. You know, the job of the shepherd, as described greatly throughout Scripture, was to lead, to protect, and to feed the sheep. You know, there are three times in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is represented by the term shepherd. Three different times. And each time, there's a different adjective that is used to describe the kind of shepherd that he is. In 1 Peter, one of my favorite books, if you are a Christian in here and you have never read through the book of 1 Peter, go home and read it this week. Read through the book of 1 Peter. It's absolutely beautiful. But in 1 Peter, he is referred to as the chief shepherd. 
the one that stresses his second coming and the reward for those who served him. And it says this, the verse is going to come to the screen. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. This is what Peter said about him. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13, he is referred to as the great shepherd. The the resurrected shepherd, which emphasizes his ability to work through and accomplish his purposes within the sheep. He says this, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. He goes on to say he makes you perfect in every good work to do his will. It doesn't say my will. It doesn't say your will. It doesn't say your spouse's or your kids. It says his will to do God's will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen, church? Amen. You know, the text at hand here in John chapter 10 is going to call him the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. Now, in order for Christ to be the shepherd of the sheep, we must identify him as the one that is sent by God, the one that sheep should follow. You know, 1 Peter chapter 2 goes on to say that you were as sheep going astray. And it says, but are now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your soul. So church, I I, want to maybe challenge us this morning with something. In order to find life, you must follow the shepherd. The challenge is in order to find life, you must follow the shepherd. You must follow the shepherd. Why? Well, Jesus gives us a whole bunch of reasons here. So if we would start with me in verse number one, John 10, one, and it says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. I want you to notice that. It says, the gatekeeper opens. Don't forget to underline it, highlight it, do something in your Bible. The gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Now this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So he repeats himself and just says it a little bit differently. Look at verse 7. So Jesus says again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If any man enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then, dun-dun-dun, verse number 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly, as I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand, or a hireling in some versions, or a hired man in other versions, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming. And he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. 
just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep. I also want you to note that and underline it. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and reason the Father loves me because, sorry, I have, and I will bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. And this charge I have received from my Father. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this place, Lord, and and there is a lot here to unpack in just a little time. And so, Lord, I'm asking right now that you would keep our hearts and minds open to your move that you would show us something new in this passage, that we would have a better understanding of you as a shepherd and what our role is in this. God, give us life through this passage as you are the only one that can give true life. God, help help our minds to be clear. Help us to know where to stay away from. Help us to identify the false talked about in this text. God, use this passage of scripture to glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. The very first thing I want us to see this morning in this passage is we should follow Christ because Christ is the true shepherd. We should follow Christ because Christ is the true shepherd. The fact that Christ begins these first nine verses with a discourse on the shepherd and the sheep means that he's going to identify for us the one that is the real shepherd. This portion of scripture here follows, at least thematically in John's gospel, after a great conflict with the religious leaders of that day. They were regarding a man who was born blind. The religious leaders had shown themselves to be completely unhelpful and even cruel to this blind man and to the common people in general. And so Jesus feels it necessary to talk about the contrast between his heart and the heart of those who said that they came as Christ's. The ones that said that they came to shepherd people. The the work of many religious leaders of that day. Do you guys know, many people don't realize this, but the political leaders and the religious leaders of Jesus' day were often called shepherds. We see this most in in the Old Testament. We see it in Isaiah. We see it in Jeremiah. But then it's again used. The same term is used of the religious leaders. But Jesus explains that not everyone among the sheep is a true shepherd. He goes on to say that some are thieves. Some are robbers. You know, there are three ways, church. Three ways for us to identify the true shepherd of the sheep. And Jesus gives us all three. The very first one that he said was the shepherd comes by the proper entrance. The shepherd comes by the proper entrance. The first thing that stands out about identifying the true shepherd is how did he get into the fold? How did he get there? If he comes by the door, Jesus said, then he's the shepherd. You know, Jesus was trying to explain that the religious leaders gained their place among God's people through personal and political connection. He was trying to say that they came because of formal education or through ambition or manipulation or corruption. Jesus said if he sneaks in any other way, he is a thief 
and a robber. Church, I'm going to have something hit the screen here in just a moment, and I want you to write it down. I want you to never, ever forget it. A true shepherd comes in the legitimate and designed way. A true shepherd comes in the legitimate and designed way through love, through calling, through care, and through sacrificial service. The true shepherd. You know, the prophets of the Old Testament predicted the exact way that the shepherd would come to the sheep. They, they said he would be born this way. They said whom he would be born to. They said the, un- the unusual character of his birth would be described in a certain way. They predicted how he would appear to the nations and how he would be introduced. They said where he would live. They said what he would say and what he would do and when he would come. And this is what Christ means. He's saying, I came the predicted way. I came the normal way. I came the expected way. There is no other person in all of the history of Israel that ever came to Israel in this way. And that is how you can know who the true shepherd is. He entered by the door. He entered by the door. He was born in Bethlehem, as as the prophet Micah talked about. He was born of a virgin, as the prophet Isaiah talked about in Isaiah chapter 7. And he goes on to say that his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Is there anyone in here who's ever experienced the Prince of Peace? All two of you, great. Jesus is the one who was presented as as an infant in the temple. He was the one that was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. He was the one that God placed ownership upon at his baptism. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus entered by the door and he declared, if, if anyone comes in any other way, he's a thief, he's a robber. Jesus is the true shepherd of the sheep. But the second, the second mark, the, the second way we can know who the true shepherd is is because of what Jesus' words when he said to him, the gatekeeper or the, the porter will open. He will open the gate for me. It was a spiritual picture here that Jesus was trying to use that the door for the sheep pen had a doorkeeper. There was one who would lay watch of who came in and who went out. And this doorkeeper knows the true shepherd. It was the, the one who appropriately granted him access. Does anyone want to take a stab as to who the, the gatekeeper was for Jesus? Shout it out. It's okay. I'm sorry. John the Baptist. That's right. John the Baptist was the gatekeeper Jesus was talking about. He was the one that had the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, in John chapter 1. And and he was also the one that identified Jesus. Do you remember? You remember back in John chapter 1? He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's, It's the Lamb that the gatekeeper opened the door for. And then lastly, Jesus said the shepherd is known known by the sheep you know it's it's unmistakable of a true shepherd the sheep hear his voice he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out meaning his own recognize his voice you remember 
every encounter that we have seen so far in the book of John, Jesus met one-on-one with the individual. Remember in, in, in John chapter 3, he met with Nicodemus at night alone. There, there were no other Pharisees around. There was, there was nobody else around. What about the woman at the well? How did he meet her first in John chapter 4? Alone. It was just him and her. He met her alone. What about the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda? We didn't cover that here, but if you read through the gospel, Jesus met with him alone. He met with him alone. He met with the man born blind alone. Each one of these encounters was an individual experience with Christ. In all of the other gospels, it says many things about the way that Jesus interacted. What about the time in Matthew, in in Luke, when Jesus was traveling through Jericho and he saw the man in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to come to your house today. And if you know anything about the story of Zacchaeus, you know that Jesus says salvation has come to you in your house at the end of that story. What about the way that he met Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. He, he met Matthew at the customs table, and he said, rise and follow me. And Matthew got up and came. Through every century, from the moment of Christ's ministry up until now, every believer who has come to Jesus has come alone. There was nobody else that brought them. There was, there was no other thing that led them to salvation. He came and met Jesus alone. It was a personal experience. You know, Jesus never takes in a whole group of people at the exact same moment, at the exact same time in one person's life. Now, please don't panic and say, well, pastor said more than one person can't get saved in a service. That's not what I said. It's not what I said at all. My personal salvation is not affected by the next person and the next person. And my personal salvation is between me and, and God. I'm saved by faith alone through Christ alone, not through somebody else. Not through song, not through the words that are written on somebody's tattoo, through Christ alone. Through Christ alone. Church, what, what we believe in the silence and the loneliness of our own heart about Christ is what makes the difference. There's the transaction happens between me and God. And that's when he calls me by name. There's a song that we used to sing with our children's ministry, and it, was, it, it would go, and he knows my name. Do you guys know that song? And he knows my every thought, and he sees each tear that falls, and hears me when I call. This is the connection that I have with God because he's rescued and saved me out of the miry clay. There was, there was a prominent businessman at our church in, in Florida, And he was very, very wealthy, and he was not always that way. He grew up in a very, very, very poor family. They had nothing at all, nothing. There were eight children, and they lived in a two-bedroom home in his childhood. They grew up with very little food. He became an adult and got married, and he wanted to have better for his children. And so he and his wife opened up a business, and, and they quickly became successful, quickly. And he got saved after that, and and he came to know the Lord and began to walk through discipleship with one of us that were on staff at the church. And about a year and a half into that, uh, he he came to one of our our gatherings, our leadership gatherings, and 
and he came up to the group of us pastors and and he handed us a little piece of paper there was some things that he had taken notes on on a sermon that he had begun listening to in his car every day and um this pastor began to preach all of these different things about how if you pray that you're going to have wealth, you're going to have wealth. And if you pray that you're going to have health, you're going to have health. And he said, the more that I listened, it sounded right. He kept using pieces of Bible verses. He's like, I can't, it can't be wrong. He just quoted a line out of the Bible. It can't be wrong. But yet there was something inside of him that he's like, this is not right. And so he began to notate everything, and he brought it to the staff, and, and he's like, I trust you guys, but there's just something wrong here. I, I don't understand, but I, I, I feel it. I feel the spirit inside of me saying, don't believe that. Don't follow that. Don't give to that. Get away from that. Well, guess what? Man, how right he was. How right he was. It was not... But a few months after that, that preacher began to, to, to preach what we would call the prosperity gospel. The gospel that's not true. The gospel that, that completely removes the shed blood of Jesus Christ and says that whatever you pray, you get it your way. Guess what, church? The Holy Spirit was reminding that man of truth. John 14, the Holy Spirit reminds of truth. John 16, he guides in all that truth. That, that man realized firsthand the Holy Spirit's work within the life of a believer. Church, church, church. Sometimes you'll hear the preaching and teaching of God's word. Sometimes you'll see it on Facebook, on YouTube. You'll read a book and something will not sit right within you. Respond to the Holy Spirit, church. Maybe something you can't put your finger on. Maybe there's something that's wrong. Guess what? Jesus said that a stranger's voice will not be recognized by my sheep. They will flee. They will flee from the stranger. And what a beautiful picture that Christ was trying to show us of the true shepherd. The one who guides. So we must follow Christ because he is the true shepherd. But we must follow Christ because he's also the good, the good shepherd. The good shepherd. You know, the, the good shepherd is, is contrasted with the hireling, the one who serves for earthly reward or, or earthly recognition and gain. You know, Jesus notes two truths about the good shepherd. He says the good shepherd is selfless in his life. He's selfless, but he also says that he is sacrificial with his life. He's the one that will die for the sheep. You know, in order to appreciate Christ as the good shepherd, we have to understand the fake shepherd, the false shepherd, the hireling that Jesus talks about here. You know, every, every false shepherd wants something from us. Every false shepherd. Or they want something for themselves. You know, the, the false shepherd regards the sheep as something to be exploited to be used to advance their own agenda, to build themselves up. And when the sheep get into trouble, when, when the enemy comes, when the wolf, as Jesus called it, when the wolf comes and they strike, what happens? The, the false shepherd flees. He runs away. He leaves the sheep to fend for themselves. You know, the false shepherd lacks concern and commitment for his sheep. Jesus said, all who come before me are thieves and robbers. 
Church, I don't want you to miss something here. That term thief and robber that Jesus used, they imply deception and trickery. They, they, they imply destruction that come. They, they take away life, but Jesus said, I come to give life abundantly. The, the false shepherd is the con man. They're the muggers of the spiritual world. But guess what? The, those con men here in the text, they were the religious leaders who were the tools of Satan. Jesus himself even said of the religious leaders that their father was the devil. He spoke it right to them that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were blind. They were bogus shepherds, and they come under the category of those designated as thieves and robbers. But there's something that we should not miss here. Jesus does not say that they were thieves and robbers. He says they are. They are, is present tense, meaning there was an emphasis on his own day. Now, that, that does not mean, that does not mean that people in today's evangelical circles do not fit that bill. It doesn't mean that. There is a warning here, I think, in Scripture for our church, for those who claim to have been called to pastoral ministry. There's a warning here for the follower. You know, that word thief and robber comes from the Greek word kleptos, meaning where we get our English word kleptomaniac. Kleptos and lestis are the two Greek words that are used here to describe the thief and the robber, meaning they are the ones that take by cunning and stealth. They do so in secrecy, in, in darkness. And if you go back and read 1 John, we know that anything done in darkness is not of God. Anything done in darkness, church, is not of God. You know, it's not very often or very likely at all that a pastor is going to step up on a platform and proclaim that they teach something false. It's not very often that's going to happen. Someone once told me that the best way to recognize a false teacher is not to listen to what they say, but listen for what they do not say. What they do not say. Often false teachers will tell you God is love. God is love. God is love. God is love. They'll forget all the other aspects. They'll forget the blood of Jesus Christ. They'll forget that the only way to salvation, the only way to eternal life, to not be damned under the wrath of God is through Jesus Christ. They won't tell you that. They won't tell you that. Don't listen to what false teachers say. Listen to what they don't say. Listen to what they don't say. And if you don't understand that, please come and see me. I'll explain that in much greater detail to you right down here after church if you're confused. And, and let me just add this as well. Church, if you, if you ever um, hear of an author or you ever hear something on, on Facebook or, or on another social media platform or you see something on TV or on YouTube and you're like, mm, I'm not sure if that sounds right, ask. Go and ask. Why? Because if you don't ask, you're not going to know. Go and ask a leader. I guarantee there are enough people here in this building that have studied the word of God long enough that can point you in the right direction. And if you still don't know, come and talk to me. Come and I, I want you to come. I would rather you come and ask me 85 billion questions about the word of God so that you know the right answer than you trying to figure it out and believe in everything that you read on the internet. Don't, don't go to the internet to find your answers, okay? 
Most generally, those people can write whatever they want, and it's not filtered. Don't go there for your answers. Go to somebody who studied the Word of God and done so. We are told to rightly divide the Word of God. The internet doesn't rightly divide the Word of God, okay? The, the good shepherd that we see here is telling us that the, the false shepherd will look good. They will look religious like they know the Bible. That's why it's so important for us to know what the Bible truly teaches. Paul warned the church at Ephesus, and the verse is going to hit the screen from Ephesians 5. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. means to avoid them at all costs. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. But look, look what it says. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Discern. The only way that you're able to discern is if the Holy Spirit's work is, is at work in your life. You cannot discern the difference between right and wrong without the Holy Spirit. You have to have the Holy Spirit. So don't become like Paul also talked about, the one who stiff arms the Holy Spirit, or the one who has a seared conscience, the one that no longer listens to the Holy Spirit. Don't become like that. The good shepherd here, on the other hand, knows his sheep. He cares for his sheep with the greatest care, with the greatest commitment. You know, the, the primary characteristic of the good shepherd is that he loves unto death. Loves unto death. That, that he is willing to die for them. You know, the disciples could never ever get over the fact that Jesus loved them so much that he was willing to die for them. They couldn't get over it. Many of the epistles that were written by Paul and James and John and Peter contain awestruck references to the very thought of, of Christ dying on the cross. John wrote in the book of Revelation, unto him who loved us and washed us of our sin with his own blood in Revelation chapter 1. Paul said in Romans 5, 8, yeah, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And just a couple of chapters later in Romans chapter 8, he said, He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us as well. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? Peter said that he bore our sins on his own body upon that tree. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews said he who through the eternal spirit offered himself unto God without spot or blemish. You know, it amazes me as I read throughout scripture and see the sinless Lord. It amazes me to see the matchless Christ and how he would consent to die for me. But that's the mark of a good shepherd. One of my favorite authors and theologian C.S. Lewis said it costs God nothing to create nice things. But to convert rebellious wills cost him the crucifixion. Man, we, we follow Christ because he's the, the true shepherd. And we follow him because he's the good shepherd. But we should follow him because he's also the great, the great shepherd. The great shepherd. You know, when, when we came to this last part of the passage, you cannot escape the fact that the Lord is continuing to make astounding claims about himself. And he had two great truths in mind that further identify him as the shepherd, not just any shepherd, but the great shepherd. 
the great shepherd. And now I want us to go back again to that verse that I mentioned at the beginning in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. And it says, Now the God of peace that brought again from, from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ is the great shepherd because he has seen victory over death. Look with me back at verse number 17. And he says, for this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Not only did Jesus lay down his life, but he had the power to raise it up again. Perhaps the most familiar passage of Scripture was the one that I mentioned earlier during worship, and it's Psalm 23. The Lord is our shepherd. We're reminded in the very fourth verse of that chapter that, that, that we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But it tells us how. How when we pass through that valley, we do not have to fear evil because his rod and his staff, they comfort us. Christ has conquered death, church, for the believer. And there is nothing to fear because no enemy can destroy us. No enemy can take my salvation away from me. We are victorious in the good shepherd. We are victorious through Christ. But we also see that Christ is the great shepherd because he has a vision for unity. How often have you sat in, in a prayer meeting or a church circle and someone prayed for things to be united? How many times, church? A lot. I've been around church my entire life, and I think I've heard people pray for unity more than anything else, aside from maybe their hangnail or something like that. Christ was the one who brought the vision for unity. He was the one. The first thing in his work as the great shepherd is that he says that there are other sheep not in this fold. I want you to go back with me to verse number 18. No. Go back with me to 16. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. The fold that he's speaking of here is Israel. Those who are not in this fold, the other sheep are Gentiles. They're Gentiles. Jesus was speaking already to unity and he lifted up his eyes beyond the cross before he was even there. He looked beyond the resurrection and he was going to see the, the gospel go forth to all nations, moving forward to the ends of the earth. Jesus was already foreshadowing for the disciples what needed to occur and the result of that laying down of his life, the gospel broke through the barriers of just Israel and it it spread throughout all of the boundaries of the entire world and church guess what here we are may 27th sunday 
2022, here we are at the farthest corners of the earth, meeting as a crowd of believers in Jesus because he laid down his life for us. We get to do this. We get to meet together. We get to worship God together. And man, I wish people had the excitement and the enthusiasm that I have about the gospel and about Jesus Christ. We are to be excited, church. Not crazy, not blabbering fools. We're to be excitable because God has done something for us. He saved us. Do you guys know what you would have experienced apart from him? Separation from love and grace and mercy in hell where the wrath of God is poured out for eternity upon those who don't trust in him. And I don't mean to say those things to scare us, but he, he brought us together so that there would be one flock. Not, not one fold, but one, one flock, one shepherd, and not one more, just one. One church, one Lord, as Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 4, when he said, church, strive to attain to the unity of faith under the head of the church that is Jesus Christ. You know, I, I heard probably about four or five years ago, um, my wife and I, um, we're not only over youth ministry and, and music at our previous church, but um, we began to take over the role of children's ministry as well. And um, at that stage in my life, um, I was like, I love my kids. I don't know about their kids. Um, and I, I sure, I was sure within me that I did not want to oversee children's ministry. Um, our children's ministry had about 40 um, children between the ages of like four and like 11. And I'm like, I work with teenagers, and so I get beat up enough every week. Um, I don't want to work with kids, too. And, and so I, I begrudgingly um, told, my, told our lead pastor at our church that I, I, would, I would oversee it until we got somebody else into that position. And the, the longer that I was a part of children's ministry, uh, the more I, I grew to love children's ministry. I loved singing with the kids. I loved jumping around and being all sorts of crazy. But then when it was time, it seemed like those children were more apt to listen to the truths of God than some of the adults in our church. And I began to understand for the very first time what it meant to have a childlike faith, working with kids. And God began to bless the ministry and and my wife and I were, were able to see that children's ministry grow from 30 to 50 and, and then 70 and then 140 and then 170 children in our, in our children's ministry. And I was like, God, this is so fantastic. And one day we had, um, we had some families that started to come to our church that had children that had disabilities. And there was a, a young boy and his name was Kean, and I will never forget Kean. Um, Kean had... Um, he was autistic, and he was the farthest level on the, the autism spectrum. And anything that was out of whack, Kean would just have this utter meltdown, and there was nothing you could do. But I remember one day we were teaching through Psalm chapter 23, and, and we, had, we had told them that if they memorized the very first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, 
that they would get something out of the prize container. And I remember him coming and, and he's like, Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh, Pastor Josh, I'm so excited because I think I remembered my verse. And we were trying to help the kids to understand what it meant to follow the true shepherd. And I said, okay, Key, and I said, why don't you go ahead? And he said, the Lord is my shepherd and that's all I want. And at first I wanted to correct him. Because I'm like, that's not what it says, right? I'm, I'm the literalist guy, right? It's got to be right. And the longer that I sat there, like, paused, I, I couldn't even open my mouth and speak because I'm like, man, he's so right. The Lord is my shepherd, and that is all that I should want. I have need of nothing else if he is my shepherd. And then I began to think about this young boy who trusted Christ as his savior, not fully understanding all of the truths of the Bible, maybe not fully understanding God's love and mercy or his grace or his, his justice, but he just wanted a, a shepherd. He, he wanted to follow the true shepherd. He didn't want something that was false. He didn't want something that was fake. And I remember the day he came up and he said, Pastor, I want to know the true shepherd. And I remember being able to get down on my knee and I would, I would do it for you now, but I just can't. And I remember getting down before him and, and I said, well, why do you want to do that? And he said, because I don't want something fake. I don't want something fake. And I remember from that moment forward, I was like, God, why, why do adults not get that? Why do teenagers not get that? Here's a kid who struggles because of a chemical imbalance in his, in his, in his brain because of, because of something that, that a parent chose to do and it messed him up. And he just wanted the most simplistic, I just, I just want to know the true shepherd. I just want him to lead me. I don't want to have fear. I, I don't, I don't want to be overwhelmed with my life. I just want someone to show me the way, to guide me in my steps. And so church, I wonder if you know the true shepherd this morning. I wonder if you've been following something false. Or do you, know, do you know the good shepherd, the, the true shepherd, the great shepherd, the one who laid down his life for you? Because if you don't know him, you can cry out to him right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to look a certain way. You can cry out right now in this place saying, I, I, want, I want to be a part of the flock, the family. Not just for the benefits, but because I don't want to be who I am. I want to be who Christ created me to be. I want to walk in that. And so church, do you know? Do you know the true shepherd? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you in this place and we, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the, the ways that you lay out for us the, the truths of your word. And so God, I'm asking... I'm asking right now, Lord, to, 
to impress upon us. If, if we have chased after anything that is false, anything that is not of you, God, use, use this last little bit of time that we have to, to continue to move in our midst. Show us what is real. Help us to be discerners of truth and to rightly divide, divide your word. In, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, before you guys get up and go, we have a guest with us today, and I'd like to invite um, and, and introduce, really, our Gideon representative today. I'm, I'm very happy uh, that they're here. I had an opportunity to to meet with him on Wednesday, and um, I've heard a lot of a lot of things about you from Bruce. Nothing bad, I promise. Um, but I would like for you guys to to enter uh, to meet, really, um, Elwin and Deborah Hall. They're sitting right here with Bruce and Kay. If you guys would give it up for them. Uh, they live here in Ionia and are members of Zion United Methodist Church, which is right down the road here. Uh, Elwin is a retired automotive design engineer, which sounds really cool, and I don't even know what it is. Um, but I'd like to introduce him and have him come uh, to the stage. We have a microphone for you, and he's just going to come and share a little bit uh, about Gideon's International and how he's connected, and, and maybe he's got a really cool story about Bruce over there or something. If you guys would give it up Thank for Elwin. Thank you, Greg. Is it turned on? Can you hear me? Uh, thank you very much, Pastor. <clears throat> I just a little word about what the Gideons International is. The Gideons International is an association of born-again Christian <coughs> business and professional men and women who have, <coughs> for the last, since 1899, shared God's word with the world. And today, we are organized in over 200 countries, and we distribute scriptures in over a hundred different languages. The last I heard, <clears throat> we're distributing them in 101 different languages. However, our international executive director, Dan Highway, has said, the distribution of scriptures is not the core value of the Gideons International. The core value of the Gideons International is just the same as what your core value is. We are striving to win others to Christ. That is our core value. And Mike has a short video <coughs> to show how God's work does work in the hearts of others. And I just have a short verse to read to you from Isaiah 55, and I'm going to read verses 10 and 11. We go so much by verse 11. I like verse 10 too. It says here that the rain came down from the heavens 
and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it produces fruit. It will accomplish what I want it to and it will prosper wherever I send it. Michael, have you got that video ready? Hi there, my name's Luke Harris and I'm the pastor of Empowered Church that meets in Sydney's beautiful Sutherland Shire. And uh, I just wanted to share with you today for a couple of moments, my story of when I first uh, had an encounter with the ministry of the Gideons. It was in grade 11 of high school that I came to faith in Christ and uh, being in a state school, let's just say it wasn't necessarily an encouraging environment that was conducive to nurturing uh, the early and fresh faith of a new Christian. There was a bit of ribbing and various things that went on, so I really needed all the help that I could get. And I can clearly recall the day that these two gentlemen came from the Gideons and they presented boxes of new red New Testament Bibles to the two senior year levels of our high school. I remember them standing out the front. I remember their address. I don't remember much of what it was that they said, but I do remember one line where they said, these Bibles are red on the outside and we hope for them to be red on the inside. Now, I'm not sure my fellow students appreciated the joke because I remember there being an audible groan, but can I say, almost 20 years on, I still remember that line. I also remember that straight after that school assembly, my fellow students were ripping their Bibles up. I, I remember seeing some of them throwing them on the ground and stomping on them. I saw Bibles going into bins. I mean, there were some that put it in their school bags, but there were plenty that were trashed and ripped and thrown on the ground. And I have no doubt that with the amount of litter that was there, that those two gentlemen from the Gideons must have walked away from that school that day thinking that their seed had been wasted. I imagine them feeling discouraged and despondent about the reaction that took place that day. But I want to say to those gentlemen, I want to say to those that are continuing to do the good work of the Gideons, that this student loved that gift that day. And in fact, I used to cherish that Bible. I took it with me to school every day. I read it during lunch hours. And in fact, still to this day, I have my Gideon's Bible. And uh, I keep it as a memento of those early years of faith. This Bible was a companion to me every day. And I remember looking through it, reading through it, memorizing Bible verses, underlining and highlighting sections, looking through the index at the various things that the Word of God said on different topics. In fact, I wrote a subtitle on the front, God's Audible Voice, because that's what it was to me during those initial years. So I want those gentlemen to know from 1996, their donation to the senior year level of Caloundra State High School, that their seed was by no means wasted. It encouraged the salvation of two dozen students, including my own. It's a slight fact, but it's worthwhile knowing. 
there are over 31,000 verses in that Bible. And why it's important to know is that each one of them can touch a heart when a heart is open to listen. Every single one of those verses is given by God to touch a heart. And that is important to know. We all know that there are 66 books in the Bible and 27 of them in the New Testament. However, when we know that each verse in that wonderful book is given by God, that it can change a life. Yes, it can. Well, for more than 120 years, Gideons and people in churches just like this in congregations like yours have been helping to spread God's word around the world and changing lives as we do. Gideons are unique in what we do in that all of our members serve where we live. And locally, we furnish Bibles to the hotel. I, on, on your, uh, in the back of your church, I had the Bible that uh, was uh, furnished to the hotel. That Bible has the opportunity in that hotel to be read by 2,300 people. Just think of that before it's replaced. And yes, the Bibles are replaced at different times. But that Bible has that many opportunities to be read. We give Bibles to the hospital, to the nursing homes. We give Bibles at the fair. Uh, in the video, and we have the Bibles back, uh, back there. There's a brown one like he has. That's a personal witness testimony, personal worker's testimony. And we give that to waiters. We give that to people that we see and where God wants us to give. And we have a blue Bible that we give to ladies. And we do this. Uh, to the, uh, <clears throat> we haven't been able to do this regularly because of the COVID has restricted us. But we're ramping up again to do this. And the most important thing that you can do for the Gideon ministry is to keep us in your prayers. Please do that. In the back of your church, it's quite an exciting thing. You have a Gideon card back there. Now, those Gideon cards have an envelope where they're free. The Gideon cards are free. They have an envelope where you can give a gift to the Gideons. And there are cards there that will commemorate a special occasion. There are cards there <clears throat> that will tell someone that you haven't seen, that you miss them. 
and there are cards there <coughs> that will you can send to someone uh, who's lost a loved one that can be memories. And when you put the gift in those cards, you will know that you're helping a Gideon give a Bible to someone who needs it. So we thank you for that. And I thank you, Pastor, for giving me this time to tell about the Gideon ministry. And please remember that the gifts that you give, that the worker's testament, it is cost a dollar and a quarter approximately. That's the price that it takes to print that testimony, send it to a warehouse, from the warehouse to a Gideon camp to be put into the hands of a Gideon to give to someone who's needing it. It's just that, 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 that dollar and a quarter goes a, a long, long way. So we thank you for that. Uh, I can't even begin to tell you the impact that your prayers and your gifts have when they reach around the world to touch someone. And so, please, keep us in your prayers. And may God bless you and your congregation. Thank you very much. Would you guys give it up for... I'm actually going to have you stay right here, and I'm going to close in prayer. Uh, would you actually like to join uh, your husband here on the stage? We're going to pray with you guys real quick, pray over um, pray over you in the ministry. Um, as If you guys do not know, Bruce and Kay, sitting right here in our own congregation, uh, long-standing church members here, uh, way back to the, the Baptist church that was here prior to the well, um, are actively involved in this ministry um, and know this young man right here um, and serve alongside of him as well. And so uh, as we were praying for the Gideons and connecting with them, um, we have we have someone right here. We have a couple right here in our congregation who, who is actively involved. So church, if you would, join me in prayer um, as we pray over them. Uh, God, we just thank you so much uh, for this, uh, this family here, the halls that that um, have dedicated uh, their life to, to handing out Bibles, to sharing the gospel, to, to seeing souls come uh, to know that true shepherd that we were just uh, hearing about. And so, Lord, I'm asking for strength, uh, physical strength within their bodies to keep being used as, as instruments and vessels. Uh, but, Lord, for the Gideons, uh, the entire organization, Lord, as, as you're using them globally, uh, in multiple different countries, in multiple different languages to share uh, the gospel with those who have no hope. And so, Lord, we're praying for financial blessing upon uh, the family, but as well as the ministry, Lord, that they can continue to do what they're doing. And, and God, as, as a church, we want to be able to not just pray for, but uh, to be able to partner with in as many ways as possible, whether uh, that's hopefully one day financially helping in some way by purchasing Bibles and in distributing or 
or in some way just having uh, a greater connection uh, with Bruce and Kay here, but with just the Gideon camp that's located close to us um, and how we can get plugged in and possibly even serve alongside of them. Uh, Lord, as, as your word goes forth, uh, this is not about the Wells agenda or, or any other agenda, Lord. This is about glorifying your name uh, and that your kingdom would go forth. And so uh, continue to use these people, uh, use this, this program, use your word uh, to reach the lost. And I just ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.